Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is your girl Adar and friend, and you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood Podcast. So I met Ustad and Mariam on social media, which I feel like most of us have. <laughs> she was this really outspoken woman who had so much knowledge. Um, and you could tell by just listening to one short clip reel. And she spent a lot of time educating women about women's scholarship and Quran recitation. And naturally, I was very, very inquisitive about her. So I followed her and I always kept, I always kept along about what she was doing. And when I thought about interviewing for season two, I thought, oh, you know, I would love to get Ustad and Mariam to come and talk about her story. And I know she has done it before. But I was even more affirmed to do it when I found out about her Qadia app that was coming out. I was like, oh, I have to, I have to figure out the story behind all of this and who she is. And really how Allah SWT led her to creating this, what sounds like a groundbreaking app. When we interviewed Ustad and Mariam, we weren't able to fully get our story because we had a really short time in the studio. But consider this a part one of her story. And in the future, inshallah, we plan to bring her back and we can talk more details about all the things that we missed. But what I do know is, is this. Ustad Mani was born and raised in California. She grew up with parents that rediscovered Islam in their college years and were very intentional about raising kids that were aware of Islam. When I really first heard her story, it sounded kind of like a romantic film. Let me tell you, this is how it went. My, my dad really found Islam and, uh, you know, chose to embrace his Muslim identity in college in California. My mom did the same in college in Iowa. They both were really introduced to Islam through um, Christian roommates that they had. Wow. Who they would go to church with and go to Bible study with. And then that kind of opened their path to learning about different religions until they both separately in two different in two different states, in two different times, in two different years, read the Qur'an, were so overwhelmed by the beauty of the Qur'an and really chose that they wanted to live this life. And so by the time I was born, I was born into this family that was very intentionally raising, uh, you know, me as someone who knows Allah in a loving way. Mm -hmm. um, alhamdulillah, almost all my other relatives really found and embraced Islam with that same time period with my parents. So we're very diverse. We have a lot of different um, ethnic and racial backgrounds in my family. I'm very, very fortunate, very grateful. And being able to have all of that growing up and yet feeling so supported and so loved, um, it helped me kind of explore different aspects of my own identity as a young person when I was trying to figure out what my own path is. Mariam's parents were super excited about teaching their daughter Islam. As you can imagine, you know, when you learn Islam and you find the truth, you're excited to live in it. More importantly, you're even more excited to grow children who are going to continue this, this legacy and this belief in this system. But as you know, Allah SWT is the one that guides. Although we can set up all of the blocks so our kids can succeed, it's really up to them to find Allah SWT. And for Maryam, it didn't come as quickly or as easily. She did have a hard time finding that same connection her parents felt to Islam. So I wasn't really into religion at all, even though my parents were very intentional about trying to help us learn the love of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and going to the masjid and just being surrounded by this like, you know, this like love for God. I personally didn't really know if I wanted to be Muslim and I didn't 
I, I had a lot of questions and I thought, you know, I did generally believe that God exists, but I didn't know if Islam was the truth or the one that I, I wanted to follow. From early on, Maryam felt hindered by Muslim society's view of how a Muslim is supposed to be. Maryam was an extrovert. She was always very energetic, outspoken, loved sports, loved to perform, and even do martial arts, which didn't match the typical expectations some Muslims placed on women. Unfortunately, a lot of times, that aspect of a woman's personality within our community is mm. not nurtured. Mm. Uh, and so I've been very... I've been very intentional about what I do share when I'm public mm -hmm. uh, because of that misunderstanding. A lot of times people look at Muslim women with a very cultural lens that it's not based in religion. It is based in their own culture. Mm -hmm. And when all of that comes together and says a certain version of piety is what this looks like, and that's not someone who's extroverted and outgoing and who <laughs> loves to skateboard and who has a black belt in Taekwondo. Nope, that's really not what, that's not what, a Muslim woman should look mm -hmm. like. And unfortunately, that's so cultural, but mm -hmm. it was something that impacted me as well. And so for me, like, yes, all of these aspects are still a huge part of my personality. I just choose where I share those parts of my personality. Uh, so, you know, it's so funny. In our earlier podcast, we talked about that, how, like, you know, if you wanted to be a pie, you wanted to be a religious, or if you wanted to, like, be practicing, you had to have personality. And I remember Hilal said, with no salt and no pepper, you gotta, mm -hmm. <laughs> you had to seem like yeah. you had no personality, that you d didn't have other interests outside of studying the Quran. And they, you were, like, you know, boring. Or, and if not that, judgmental. You were judgmental and, uh, you know, far removed from society. And I remember, like, we talked about that, how that was also affecting us as people, you know? Um, of course. It affected us. Yes. Almost. Even the, even our our ability to want to practice, it's like I yeah. had to abandon parts of myself. SubhanAllah. Yes. Yes. It's so absolutely. weird. I completely understand that. And I still, it's something I still pray about. But, you know, it's so far removed from the example of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and the companions, the woman companions. Mm. Oh, they're examples. I mean, they were so, so assertive, mm. so, so, such, like, such warriors and, and, and fun. And SubhanAllah, that aspect of who they were, unfortunately, it's not, is not emphasized as much as it needs to be. And I absolutely blame colonialism <laughs> for a part of it because yeah. colonialism heavily impacted the way that that Muslim women were seen within certain cultures. Like if you look at the texts that we have pre-colonization, the way that women are and the roles that they played in society based in Islamic knowledge were drastically shifted once colonization hit and the puritanical ideas that were outside of our religion that did not come from our religion, mm. but those puritanical ideas of women that were that were heavily influenced the culture that they they colonized. I mean, we're we are we are only a few generations away from that, and so, so we're still reeling from it. Yeah. But alhamdulillah, I feel like more and more the way that our our tradition, the traditions, the scholarship is going back to our roots. And mm. I think that is really where we're going to be able to find women finding healing in Absolutely. our religion as well. Absolutely. And I think that's that's exactly how I came into it. Is I started to learn about Islam through a book. And then I started to mm -hmm. realize that I never had to abandon parts of who I was mm -hmm. in order to excel in this, you know? Um, yeah. Because it always, it was just, uh, we even talked about this element of like memorization, that if you were a yes. serious Quran student, you didn't talk. You didn't speak. You were strict. Uh, you weren't right. funny. You couldn't make jokes. Like you know that somehow yeah. you had to be this like this this rigid person. Robot. Yeah, mm -hmm. robot that had like you know one focus and one focus only. 
Um, but then you started to see people, mashallah, like Ustad Hilal, who had personality and then became a hafid, you know, like, and those and, and those parts of who she was uh, inspired other people like, oh, maybe I, there is room for me here, you know? Yeah. It isn't a yes. girls club that had like, you know, kind of similar to a boys club. Like you had to, you know, be a certain way, but you could actually be however way and use those parts of you to excel. Well, Mariam was in high school. Her father decides to gift her with the best gift anyone could gift someone. A trip to go to Umrah. You know, people spend their whole lives saving to go to Umrah. And here Mariam was, oh, thinking, okay, we're going on a trip. That's fantastic. Not understanding what exactly was about to come her way. My first reaction, you know, when you hear that someone is going to go to Mecca, mm-hmm. when you're told you get to you get to go to Mecca, it's a trip of a lifetime. But my first reaction was, I don't want to change. Mm-hmm. Like I had known people who had gone to Mecca and come back very, very spiritual. And I was like, I don't want to change. I'm not looking for that. I don't want that. And subhanAllah, when we went into the haram, like, you know, the Kaaba is in the middle and then there's like this haram, like the masjid that surrounds it, the the masjid is surrounding it. And then there's like the haram outside. I mean, the whole area is the haram, but anyway, we're walking in through the masjid. And I remember that my dad had told us to look down so that like the very first, you know, glimpse that we get to see is the Kaaba. And I was looking down and I remember my parents were crying and I just thought, I don't feel anything. Like I literally was like, I feel nothing. I could be at the mall and feel something more. <laughs> and I I didn't I didn't feel connected in any way to what was happening to my parents. And then we kept walking up to the steps where it's the opening to the Kaaba and When my dad told us to look up, the first time I saw the Kaaba, it felt like, it felt like my heart came to life. I had no idea you could feel your heart. I had no idea that you could actually feel your heart inside your body. It it felt like Allah had raised my dead heart to life. And in that moment, I was so struck with the awe of loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with just wanting to know who he is, with wanting to turn back to him and wanting to live my life for him. And and in that, that, that moment, I just asked for his forgiveness. I asked for his guidance. I asked for him to help me know him. And then I came back, back to California, back to, you know, my high school. I was going to, I went to public school. I, I wasn't surrounded by like, oh, like Islam all the time. Mm-hmm. I wasn't surrounded by any of that. And honestly, some people who are surrounded by that also have really difficult experiences. Absolutely. Like not Islam, but like an Islamic school or mm-hmm. an Islamic environment. Because again, there's so much culture at play that's not necessarily Islam itself. Mm-hmm. But subhanAllah, I came back and I'm like, how do I maintain this connection? And I decided I'm going to start reading the Quran. And I am not Arab. I didn't know. I barely knew how to read the letters. And I tried to read five pages a day. At that time, I was like, I can watch Friends for like hours. But <laughs> I, I don't know how to like read the Quran. And so I sat with that. And I have a lot of commentary on Friends, by the way. Yeah. So that's not, that's, not a, that's not a comment who I am now. But just like reading, reading those five pages took hours. And I remember one time my mom was like, why don't you read it in English so that you understand what you're reading? Mm-hmm. And I started to read the translation and it was transformational. I would 
I would go to school, something would happen, I would come back like bawling my eyes out, open the Quran to a random page, point at a verse, and the verse was exactly what happened to me. Wow. It was like, I, I would be praying and like, oh Allah, can you even hear what I'm saying? Do you even, not do, can you even hear, I know he can hear, but are you listening to me? Like, like literally, I just, I remember sitting on my floor with my hands up, talking to Allah and saying, oh Allah, like there's like billions of people on the earth. Like, are you actually listening to me specifically? And then I opened the Quran with my eyes closed, pointed at a random verse. What was the ayah? When my servants call me. When my servants ask of me, I am near. I answer the one who calls when they call. And subhanAllah, it was just one experience after another that you know, I was going through something, I'd open the Qur'an and it was like Allah was was with me in his knowledge. And the more that I read it, the more I wanted to memorize it. And so that began my journey of starting to memorize the Qur'an, starting to learn Arabic. And, and then as I went through that journey, I started hearing all these things related to women. And that was, that's a... That's that was another the, fight. That was another fight. Yeah, before we get yeah. there, I have a question to ask you. Yeah. What was your relationship with the Quran like before that experience, before Umrah? Oh, there is zero. I had no relationship at all. I remember that my parents had me going to, the last time before Umrah, I had opened a Quran. I was in the seventh grade and I had to go to this Quran class my parents would t- take me to. It was after school, after middle school. I would put the verses in transliteration, like write out B-I-S-M-I-L-L-A-H. <laughs> Uh, on a sticky note, I'd put mm-hmm. it on my hand. And then when the teacher would ask me, because the teacher was looking at her mushaf, so she couldn't, she wasn't looking at me, I would read it off the sticky note to pretend I had memorized. Wow. So I hadn't opened the Quran at all since that class. It had been years since I had touched the Quran. With every friend that I have that's ever memorized the Quran, cover to cover, always explains to me that you'll never really fully understand what it is Allah is trying to say to you until you learn Arabic. Until you remove the third party, which is, you know, needing assistance in English, you always feel like there's a barrier between you and Allah. And so when Maryam opened the kitab that day, and she pointed at a random verse, and it was a verse where Allah is saying, I respond to the supplicant. I respond. As if Allah was talking to her. She was beyond curious to understand Allah in, in ways that was beyond just English written words on a page. But she really wanted to understand what exactly Allah intends or what he means to say when he says those verses. And so this, this desire to know, the desire to remove the third party and learn Arabic really began so I started taking Quran and Arabic classes when I was in high school. I started taking fiqh classes and just trying to like learn as much as I could. And after high school, I really wanted to go study like overseas or study somewhere. But um, especially at that time, like there was no, um, you know, <laughs> online courses. Yeah. There was nothing like, you know, no social social media didn't exist at that time. There mm-hmm. was no way to even know people wow. like 
of like who's studying where, get connected with someone. And so my parents were like, we don't know anyone in the Middle East. How are you going to go study in the Middle East? You don't speak the, you don't know any, you're 17. <laughs> and also they were like, go to college. And then after you go to college, you can go. And so I was like, no, like every year of college, I tried to find a way. And they were very supportive. They were like, you know, open to helping me find, you know, potential, like someone who knows someone who lives somewhere who could help me like access this path. But it wasn't until after college, the day after I graduated from college that I flew to Cairo. And that's when I started um, my, I guess my more formal full-time studies. So who told you about Cairo? How did you know about Cairo going there? How did you know that women could go there and learn? Yeah, Imam Suhaib Webb, may Allah bless him and increase his ranks and bless his family. He was the Imam of my masjid at the time and he was studying in Azhar. And so because he was in Azhar um, in Egypt, my parents were like, okay, we know Imam Suhaib and we know his family. And I had a few friends who actually moved to study in Azhar as well by that time. Mm -hmm. So they were like, okay, there's like a small community of people we know, we trust, and like, you know, we, we, we can connect with if like there's a reason that, you know, we're, we're concerned that we know that you're taken care of. So yeah, alhamdulillah, my dad actually flew over with me. He helped me make sure to get, I found an apartment. Like I had wonderful roommates, mashallah. Um, and then he flew back. And so alhamdulillah, I was very blessed to have that kind of like supportive space once I was there. What was the first day in Egypt like? The very first day I was <laughs> with my dad and it was so fun. We, we, oh, subhanAllah, Cairo. So we were staying in this, in this hotel. It was called the Boy Scouts Hotel. Mm. And there were like, literally, there were Boy Scouts that came to the hotel. So it was just like this hotel filled with <laughs> Boy Scouts. I That's don't so know random. why. It was so <laughs> random. But like there was a masjid nearby that we walked to and like we'd walk the streets. And my dad was having a blast crossing like seven lane roads <laughs> that have no crosswalks. And he's like, this is life. And he was just so excited about it. <laughs> so it was amazing to hear the Adhan oh, everywhere. Oh, gosh, the first time in my life living somewhere where you can hear the Adhan. It just, oh, the Adhan just touches your soul. And and just being surrounded by so many people. Cairo at that time had 30 million people in the city. It was packed everywhere. Like people were in microbuses. People were on top of microbuses. People were hanging on the sides of microbuses. It was incredible for me to just observe a totally different area. And I I loved every minute of it. May Allah bless the people of Egypt and bless Amen. bless bless people everywhere. But it was a very it was a it was a blessing. I I I obviously had moments where I bawled my eyes out and I would stare at the moon and just like like just miss my family and miss being home. There were the, the second day I was in Egypt, I threw up because I was crying so hard. Because I was like, I miss my parents so much. But, but alhamdulillah, by, by the first week, I was just so grateful. Alhamdulillah, so, so, so grateful to be there. Mariam was in the land of her dreams. She began to learn Arabic for one year. But just because she had made it there, didn't mean the hard part had passed. No, child, it had just begun for her. What is that thing that people say? Anything worth having is worth struggling for? Yeah, something like that. You know, for Arabic, when you start learning, you think you're going to start learning tafsir and Quran, <laughs> and you're so excited to learn about Islam, and you're learning Yusuf walked to the bank. <laughs> Yusuf went to the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. Yusuf met his friend at the hotel, and mm -hmm. it's so incredibly hard to understand why I need to study this to get to that. But mm -hmm. obviously for any person who actually studies a language, it makes sense why you need to start there to get here. Mm -hmm. um, and and in, the, in the process though, in the beginning, it's just very hard to, 
to be patient. You know, you come all the way so you could study the language and you're learning about different names for fruit. But all those names of fruit, they're in the Quran. You know, Yusuf going home. That's those are words in the Quran. I mean, mm-hmm. these are words that we that that we that we that we, you know, we subhanAllah have in our revelation. And so it's it, it's a very long and you know, I I remember when I was still here and a friend of mine had just moved to Cairo and um she was messaging with me and she was like, I just feel so like down, like I came to study and I'm not studying what I really wanted to study. And I was like, girl, do you know how much I dream of being in Egypt? And at that time I had no idea that I would be blessed with going. I was like, that's my dream and mm-hmm. and you're there. And she's like, thanks, I just needed that reminder because sometimes you just get, it's not that you get bored, although it is a little bit boring in a sense because the material isn't like mentally invigorating, mm-hmm. but but you get, you get like, restless Mm because you want to study more but you're you're barely learning how to walk you can't sprint a marathon like you can't even sprint a marathon you know you shouldn't sprint a marathon but you're not ready for the like long (laughs) for the like well i guess you can it depends on how you know the amount of running anyway what am i saying the point is that it's a process Mm -hmm. it's a process and in the beginning it can be really hard to be patient it reminds me of uh, the film the karate kid mr miyagi and the karate kid wanted to do all these incredible moves that he knew Mm-hmm. But he's like, you're a grasshopper. You have to start with the basics. He's like, mm-hmm. and then he made him wash the car. You really part? Yeah. He was so yeah. mad. He said Box this. On, he's like, what mm-hmm. is? It? He didn't even understand what the movement meant. He's like, why are you right. teaching me? This? He didn't even understand what he was teaching him to do with the vehicle. Right. In his head, all he saw was soap. Child labor, yes. what he thought was child labor. <laughs> and he's like, he's making me clean his car. You know, I'm Absolutely. like, you thought he probably, in his head, he probably thinking, I'm being exploited here. Like, I came here for one thing and I, I don't see me doing that. But then, and as we, as we watched the film, we realized that those movements he was learning over and over again would be the most power dynamic movie he needed to know. Mm-hmm. But like, at the time, we didn't know. And it's like, um, yes. I think a lot of us, uh, like, the, learning Arabic, I don't know. And I'm, I mean, I can imagine it's kind of like, you know, the Karate Kid, you think you you have all these expectations You're gonna, mm-hmm. and you, you already see yourself at the final destination, but you don't quite know what it looks like to get there. And then so mm-hmm. when you figure out how simple down it is, you're like, what? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> you know, yeah, to be the absolutely. master of this. And like, I'm sure anybody that mastered anything will tell you, bro, you, it gets restless doing the thing over and over again. But mm-hmm. it's necessary. You have to do that work in order to mm-hmm. get to where you need to. And it's very humbling, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. I would assume it's a very humbling experience. Oh, yes, yeah, subhanAllah, absolutely. Sometimes um, when you're studying Islam or you're beginning to practice, there's a lot of misinformation. I remember one of the one mis- misinformation I had learned was that women's voices were awda. And what that means is that essentially... Um, a woman couldn't speak um, because it was something that needed to be kind of hidden. And I, I, at first I was confused about what that meant. Did that mean that women should never speak? Like I didn't understand how that, that would make sense to anything, but it was something that was very popularly known and it was something that was often reinforced, reinforced even by women. Older, older traditional cultural, like, you know, I, I, I learned then quickly that it was more culturally than it was religious. But that was a that was a, that was a sentiment I heard for a very long time. And obviously it was only when I studied the fiqh of Salah that I learned that it was incorrect because women's voices are out in Salah. And then somebody had asked in the class, does that mean women's voices are out outside of Salah? And the sheikh said no. 
And that blew my mind. Like, when I tell you, like, it blew my mind, I was so shocked. And I was like, then why are people saying that, like, is that, I, I, remember, I, I didn't ask the shit this because I was kind of embarrassed to even, even allow to, you know, to think that was true or even challenge it. But alhamdulillah, you know, when you seek knowledge, you start to le- realize the difference between culture and actual religious, you know, sentiments. You, you start to separate them and you recognize that people are pushing their own agenda. And that's why also it's really important to seek knowledge. You know, it's really important for me to seek knowledge. And for Mariam, back home in the U.S., Mariam heard similar sentiments. And it wasn't until she went to Egypt that she started to see something different. For the first time in her life, Mariam witnessed Muslim women reciting Quran out loud in public. So being in Egypt, one of the things that I was exposed to, which was very different from when I was in California, was just the the plethora of women who were scholars, the plethora of women who were actively teaching Islam. And that's not something that I had seen in my locale. And of course, women scholars are literally in the thousands. They're all over the world, if not the tens of thousands. But I didn't have that same experience growing up. And so I didn't know that. When you don't see something, you don't know that that's necessarily part of the existence. Mm-hmm. And, and and at least for me, I mean, I mean, perhaps if I had at that time had access to social media and like all these online opportunities, I would have just known about more. But that didn't exist. It was just my locale. And I, I didn't see that example. In Egypt, I started seeing that example everywhere. Women were everywhere. Women were teaching everywhere. Women were lecturing. And women were part of these Islamic spaces of knowledge that in my own masjid typically was, you know, very, very closed off. And when I had, um, subhanAllah, one time, a friend of mine and I went to Masjid al-Azhar and it was the first time we had gone there. We had only been in Egypt for maybe a month at this point. And we walked into the, the, the prayer hall and the prayer hall is just this beautiful, vast area. And and Azhar is like a very historic masjid. So we walk in, and as we walk in, I'm hearing Quran. And then I see that there's a major Quran reciter. There's like news cameras, and not news cameras, actually. They were like, just like, um, like a camera for TV that, that while we were there, the reciter was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't expect that somebody would come because they heard that this major reciter was in this masjid. <laughs> and so they like rushed over to record him. Mm-hmm. He was just so chill and so, so like accessible to people. And in this class, I'm seeing that as he's reciting Quran, he's reciting Quran and all the students are repeating after him. And there were probably like 200 people at this class and half of the students were men and half of the students were women. And that was the very first time I had seen a class where men and women are studying the Quran and reciting the Quran together publicly in Masjid al-Azhar itself. It just blew me away. Subhanallah. I had come from a background of, you know, getting excited about Islam. And when I got really excited about it, I learned all of these things that women should not do. Women should not do. Women should not do. Women should not do. And it got me into this place where I was very scared of my own personality. And I was Mm -hmm. very scared of myself. And I was very doubtful of my role as a Muslim woman. Mm -hmm. Seeing this by a scholar in a masjid of scholarship, it really started opening my, my, my mind to the idea that maybe the quote unquote, Uh, Only authentic truth, the only way to understand the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the only haq is perhaps not necessarily the only one. Maybe there are differences of opinion on issues that I was taught or Mm -hmm. only one way. And maybe 
what I was taught, and this is not from my own parents, but from some of the experiences I had um, in Muslim circles, maybe that's not even based in Islamic knowledge. Maybe what they said is the way women should be was actually in, based in a, a cultural understanding of women. Mm. So for me, that was really the first time where I started experiencing that difference for what women's roles could actually be. And that experience really opened my eyes to you know, subhanAllah, how women see ourselves in our religion and why sometimes many women struggle with the way that they see themselves. So how did that, how did that drive you? So now you see this, this moment where your eyes were peeled back and you're like, oh, maybe I need to know more. At that time, I was really scared of learning about women in Islam mm -hmm. because I had heard I had taken this class in college. It was called Women, Islam and Sexuality. Mm -hmm. And the professor I had taken the class so that I could like defend Islam from anything I heard, but mm -hmm. the professor brought up so many things that I had no idea how to reply. And anyone I asked, you know, they didn't have the answer either. Mm -hmm. And so what ended up happening is that course, in addition to all the messages I was hearing from women who were very righteous, but who had not actually studied Islam formally at all, those two things combined made me terrified of studying women's issues because I didn't know how it would feel about myself and about Islam if I continued to hear messages like this. So I was passionate about the Quran. I was obsessed with the Quran. I am obsessed with the Quran. Alhamdulillah. It's, it is the greatest joy of my life. The Quran is just such a gift from God. And, and I knew I wanted to pursue that. So I, I was amazed by this program, but I also couldn't continue learning more about it because I wasn't at a place emotionally where I was ready to hear really anything. I was very young. I had just started learning Arabic and I told myself, focus on Quran, focus on Arabic. And inshallah, at one point, you might be ready to start really focusing on what it means to be specifically what it means to be a woman as a, as a lecturer, as a Quran reciter. What does that role look like? And subhanAllah, it really, for me, didn't start um, shifting completely just by seeing that one example. That example opened my eyes. It didn't shift the way I thought fully. That happened when I, alhamdulillah, memorized the Quran in California when I came back from Egypt with Sheikh Muhib Fulda, who is a senior Quran scholar who has an ijazah, multiple ijazahs in every qira'at of Quran, who never needs to look at the mushaf because he knows the Quran so well that he will open it just because he loves the Quran and he will open it because it's worship just to gaze at it. But he'll be opening to Surah Al-Ma'idah and he'll be reciting Surah Al-Baqarah. And his, his, his recitation, his connection is just so strong, subhanAllah. And, and being in connection with him, alhamdulillah, finishing my memorization with him, it wasn't just that I had this experience of I love the Quran and I just want to know it. And yes, absolutely. But also he taught me how to live the Quran as a woman and how to use my voice for the Quran as a woman. And no one had ever had that particular focus before. No one had ever had had ever emphasized the importance of women being Quran reciters before. That had never even entered my mind mm -hmm. before him. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until he, I mean, yes, of course, these women were at a class. Those women were at a class at a masjid and I'd never seen a mixed class like that before. But Sheikh Muhib, when I was studying the Quran with him, he was like, Miriam, you need to recite at the, um, at the graduation banquet for all the people who've memorized the Quran this year. And mm. I was like, Sheikh, like, and, and Sheikh Mahib is a grandfather. Mm -hmm. He is, he is, mashallah, like a, an amazing, amazing, you know, scholar who is elder, el he's older than me, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, I'm like, Sheikh, like, 
I'm, I'm a, I'm a woman. Like you're, 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 you're like a grandfather. <laughs> you're, you're a sheikh. Like, of course I can recite to you, yeah. but, but on, you know, in front of, in front of a bunch of men, like sheikh, you're a sheikh. We're going to continue the story after a message. This Ramadan, the Digital Sisterhood is partnering up with Helping Hand for Relief and Development to sponsor a skills and development and livelihood center in Madogo, Kenya for women and youth living in poverty. Skills training empowers beneficiaries to take charge of their own lives with dignity and determination. Our goal is to sponsor 138 students. That is 138 women and youth who will learn employable skills and gain financial stability. Help us in making that happen by visiting www.hhrd.org forward slash sisterhood to learn more and donate. Now, finally, back to the story. <laughs> and his response was anger. He wow. was furious. He pointed to a picture he had that he kept a newspaper article mm-hmm. of Sheikh Um Sa'ad. Sheikh Um Sa'ad was a Quran reciter in Egypt who had one of the shortest sanads in the world. Wow, Men and women would travel from Saudi Arabia, from Kuwait, from Palestine, different parts of Egypt to go and study under her. One of the, the greatest Quran scholars, uh, subhanAllah, has his ijazah through her. Just so much knowledge in this woman. And he pointed to her and he was like, Maryam, like yelling at me. And he <laughs> oh was like, God. he was like, Muslim women have been Quran reciters and Islamic scholars in all of Islamic history. And like he pointed at her picture and he was like, look at who she is. And subhanAllah, he yelled at me and he was like, this is Islamic history. This is Islamic legacy. Do not let anyone else tell you otherwise. Do not let this narrative of women do not belong in the space of Quran change who you need to be. And that moment for me was so shocking and also embarrassing. I was like, Sheikh, I'm so sorry that I was like, Sheikh, don't you know it's haram? Like, of course he knows it's haram. Oh. If, 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 <laughs> if it was haram, he would have known it was haram. Like, he's a scholar of the Quran. And then he was like, you are reciting. You need to show people that someone who is not Arab, a woman from America, can recite the Quran. And I certainly don't recite it better than anyone else. But he, in his words, he was like, better than someone who just says that they know the Quran because they speak Arabic. No, you have to study this and you've shown that you study this and you need to give that example. And subhanAllah, so I recited at this banquet because Sheikh Mohib was very passionate about it. And um, you know what happened at the banquet? What? Let me tell you what happened. There were men and women who listened and uh, afterwards some of the men came up and they said, thank you for reciting. And a lot of women came up and said, subhanAllah, I, I want to do it too. And how do I do this too? And who do I study with too? And those women saw someone recite, saw a woman recite, and they wanted to study. And those men said thank you, and they moved on with their lives. That's exactly what happened. Wow! And that's all that happened. (laughs) But but for me, but for me, that was really the beginning of my research on women as Quran reciters. That's that those two experiences, as well as an experience when I was in my own local masjid and the coordinator for outreach events had a high school girl. She was reciting the Quran for an event that taught, um, you know, taught the basics of Islam to those who are not Muslim, who are interested. And I was shocked that there was a girl reciting the Quran in the masjid. I went up to her and I was like, you know, uh, very respectfully, um, 
women are not supposed to recite the Quran. It's haram. You, you shouldn't have a woman reciting the Quran in a public event. And she responded completely like, oh, oh, really? Well, in Indonesia, women are Quran reciters. She's from Indonesia. And she said women are Quran reciters on television and in competitions. And I've, it, I've always grown up with women as Quran reciters. And those three experiences led me to realize that maybe the experience, the perspective that I had been taught is not all of Islamic history, is not all of Islamic opinions. And alhamdulillah, that's what really started the beginning of my journey to research women as Quran reciters. Wow. So so when did the um, when did it happen when you mentioned you were invited to uh, recite uh, Masjid al-Aqsa from my understanding am I correct? Oh, Masjid al-Aqsa. So I was invited. Happen? Yeah, I wasn't invited to be a reciter. I was invited with um Al-Buruj Press. Mm-hmm. They um, lead uh, uh, groups to go to Masjid al-Aqsa and have lectures in Masjid al-Aqsa. So alhamdulillah I had the blessing and the gift in 2019. I went uh, with their group and alhamdulillah myself and Sheikh Hasib Noor, we were there. We were giving lectures in Masjid al-Aqsa. I was reciting the Quran in Masjid al-Aqsa, in the compound. There were so many men and women who were there. The Sheikh of Masjid al-Azhar was there. We were translating for his speeches, Sheikh Yusuf Abu Sunayna, may Allah bless him. And subhanAllah, it was just such a part of the, it was just so, so people were just coming up to me and saying, mashallah, it was really nice to hear your recitation. It wasn't like, what are you doing in Masjid (laughs) al-Aqsa? It was just such a, such a beautiful, subhanAllah, such a beautiful, um, you know, such a such a beautiful historical place to recite and let me tell you something mm. so there is this um there is this quran reciter who lived um he was very famous in the 1920s and subhanallah he has this really powerful statement um he was reciting at a time when there were five women Quran reciters in on Egypt's radio. Mm-hmm. They were actually they were actually reciters on the radio, and they um, they had you know men and women reciting publicly at this time. The recitation was also aired in Italy. It aired in France, and women and men were reciting on the radio, and then. And even in Egypt's panel in the late 1800s, the, there was Um Qariya, Um Muhammad. She was actually appointed by the court of Egypt in the palace by Muhammad Ali Basha to recite the Quran. She was a court-appointed Quran reciter. And she passed away. Who She's buried next to Imam al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah, wow. rahimahumallah. And subhanAllah, this, this, uh, this, this this culture of women as Quran reciters in Egypt right now if you ask someone like the the you know the, the maybe the typical person who's grown up in Egypt they probably would not have heard women as Quran reciters in many public spaces but you have to realize also what happened between the time of women as Quran reciters in the late 1800s and now colonialism happened mm-hmm. and when we had women like subhanallah for this app that I'm working on, which is called the Qariya app, which inshallah I would love to share with you soon. The, we have, um, we've had recordings on there from the early 1900s. Women who are recorded in 1920 and 1910, they have recordings of their Quran recitations. They sound like Abdul Basit. So wow. is Abdul Basit, the, <laughs> is that Abdul Basit style or is it Sheikha Mabruka style? SubhanAllah. Subhanallah. So when you, when you listen to their recitations and they came from this time period, there was a Sheikh, his name is, um, his name is Sheikh Abu Al-Aynayn Shwaysha 
And he was the first Egyptian appointed to recite the Quran in Masjid al-Aqsa. So he recited the Quran in Masjid al-Aqsa. And he used to recite the Quran on uh, uh, Cairo's radio with these women Quran reciters like um, like Sheikha Munira Abdu and Sheikha Karima and listen to what he said when Azhar passed a fatwa that women cannot be public reciters which by the way Darul Ifta has has changed since that time and now it's permissible they mentioned conditions but the point is that subhanAllah his statement was I will never my mind will never rest until the woman returns to being the Qur'an reciter on the radio. And we return to the time of Egypt's golden age. The, the voices of women, the ones that we can hear their recitation of the Qur'an, these voices have been present for more than 50 years. Like for me to recite in the same place that this sheikh of Quran who was working with Sheikh Abdul Basit who came from that time period and subhanallah he recited the Quran in the same place that I was so honored to recite the Quran and his view on women's recitation was he will never rest until women become Quran reciters wow. on the radio again wow. subhanallah the wow. history that you know because of our lack of knowledge mm -hmm. we say it doesn't exist because of our lack of knowledge we say oh no one's ever I've never seen that before okay if you've never seen that before it means you need to study it doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. it doesn't exist it means you're maybe ignorant you should learn more mm -hmm. so i have a question for you since you've been since you were doing research for the app right you've been doing research for the app mm -hmm. my question to you is what are some of the most incredible things that you found in your research i think one of the things i've just been amazed by is the plethora of women Quran reciters throughout history and how we just have been so unfamiliar with their names on a more public level. Um, just the role that these women scholars have played, the role of women scholars who have taught the likes of Imam Malik and Imam al-Shafi'i, Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn al-Qayyim, Ibn mm. Hajar, all of these men and all the men that we quote and all the men who may Allah bless them all, who we learn from, who we study their texts from, all of them list women that they studied under. Wow. SubhanAllah. And I mean, it's not one or two women. It's like like in the in the 50s, in the 60s. Uh, SubhanAllah. These are some of the greatest scholars of Islam. And they were taught by women. Their teachers were women. Wow. For me, the more exposure that I've learned, I, I've had to women's roles in shaping Islamic history and shaping fatawa, mm -hmm. it, it's just so, subhanAllah, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to me that, that this isn't something that we know on the norm. Why isn't it? Why isn't, why is it something that people are surprised to hear? It doesn't need to be something people are surprised to hear. Sheikh Akram Nadawi, who has done so much work in women's scholarship, he's a lecturer in the UK. He's a Hadith scholar and he was teaching at Oxford and subhanAllah, he wrote Al-Muhadithat, which is a compilation of that time when he wrote the introduction to the volumes that he has now. He had in that book, I believe, around 7,000 wow. hadith, women, women Hadith scholars in history. Now, because he's done more research, I think it's closer to 10,000. And he's published Al-Wafat Bil-Asma, which is in Arabic. Inshallah, there's a translation, I, I think, that they're working on. But the, the point is that like he said, this is just my research as one person who's doing this on the side because he mm -hmm. does so much other work. Mm -hmm. Imagine if we invested resources to looking at these older texts and seeing all that's been written 
by women, from women, about women mm. who have shaped the narrations of, 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 of the way that we see Islam, subhanAllah. Ustad and Maryam decided to take things into her own hands by developing an app. An app that compiles a recitation of female reciters from all over the world, as well as clips of renowned female reciters from the past. And with every project, there are a lot of challenges. Um, in 2020, uh, we had the pandemic. Mm -hmm. At that time, subhanAllah, I was very restless because I felt like there's so many women who are professional Quran reciters and no one in our area has heard about them. And yet, these are women who are in so many parts of the world, in Nigeria, in Yemen, in Tanzania, in Morocco, in Algeria, in Singapore, in Indonesia, in Malaysia. Women as Quran reciters, women in competitions, women on stages, it's part of their norm. And it's approved and supported by their scholars. And so I just was thinking about, subhanAllah, we are in a time where we are physically locked in our homes. And at that time, everything was locked down. The parks were mm -hmm. locked down. You you had a curfew before, for leaving the, your house. And, yeah. and subhanAllah, I just thought like, you know, Men were talking about how we don't have access to the masjid this Ramadan. And so many women were thinking, but that's our, our experience in general. That's often our experience, mm -hmm. depending on where you live and depending on the masjid. And, and thinking about all of these things, subhanAllah, for 10 years, I've been working with Quran scholars. I've been working with Islamic scholars of different fields and working on the idea of how to create a space where women can view other women as Quran reciters. Mm. I've spoken to them literally for 10 years, quite literally 10 years of planning what would be the best way. At that time, social media had come up. We talked about maybe making a Facebook group, like what would be the best way to expose women, other women to women? Because again, like when you don't see it, you don't know you can become it. Yeah. And for me, I had traveled throughout the UK giving lectures with Ustada Gina and Yusuf. And we had gone through all of these different, um, all of these different cities. And there were hundreds of women who came to every lecture and I was reciting the Quran in every lecture and all of these women would come up to me afterwards and say, you are the very first woman that we have ever seen reciting the Quran and the stories that they shared with me. One woman drove four hours to get to the event. We had been in her city the night before mm -hmm. and she said she had no interest in going to a random event. Her friend called her and she was like, you have to go to the other city that they're going to be speaking in because you're going to see something you've never seen in your life. She drove four hours away. She's in her 50s. Wow. She came to the event. She came to me afterwards and she asked if she could hug me. And she said, I'm in my 50s. This is the first time I have ever heard a woman reciting the Quran. And had I known that women can be Quran reciters before, then I would have pursued Quran too. And how do I start? Wow. She's in her 50s and she's asking, how can she start? to access the Qur'an. And she was just one of so many stories, one after another of high school, college, young professional, women in their 30s and their 40s, a woman in her 50s coming to me and saying, you are the very first person I've ever seen recite the Qur'an who is a woman. I had no idea that women could be Qur'an reciters. If I had known, I wouldn't have spent so many hours in choir at school. I would have memorized Qur'an. If I had known, I wouldn't be singing lullabies to my kids. I would be reciting Qur'an. And just the fact that this is generational, if this 50-year-old woman had no idea, and if she had children and didn't raise her girls to know, and they have children and they don't raise their girls to know, what 
when we talk about women needing to, you know, claim the hijab or claim your Islamic identity, yeah, we're going to be outside 24-7 covered and everyone is going to know that we are Muslim and we deal with Islamophobia and we deal with judgment and we deal with all of that. And then we come into the community and we don't even know that we can be Quran reciters. We don't even know that we can have a space with the Quran. And then people in the community have the audacity to blame women when they struggle with their iman. Wow. It's just her obsession with the dunya. She's obsessed with fashion. Maybe there's something more than obsession. Maybe it's she feels so far removed from her identity as a Muslim because she doesn't have access in the same way that her brethren do. And yet she's expected to carry all of Islam on her shoulders publicly. Like subhanAllah, all of those conversations I kept having with women I kept having with scholars. Now we're in lockdown. And I'm thinking, subhanAllah, how, how much more disconnected do women feel right now? And so finally, I was like, you know what? We've been planning this for 10 years. We've been talking about it for 10 years. We've just never thought of like the best way to do it. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. And so we did a Quran campaign. It was called the Four Mothers Campaign. It was through my Instagram account. I recited a, a surah of um, Juz Amma every single day. I posted it. And then I asked other women to recite too. And subhanAllah, thousands of women, they were actively listening. Women were reciting. Women women who couldn't recite were reading the translation. Mm. Women were sharing their recitations. And it was clear they had just opened the Quran or they were working on it or they were slowly working towards it. Other women whose recitations were just amazing. And of course, all of them are amazing. MashaAllah. I mean, every level is amazing. The Prophet Sallallahu taught us the one who struggles with it has double the reward. Mm -hmm. But it was just women of all levels of in terms of where they were in their journey with the Quran and the messages I got after that were quite literally in the hundreds weekly, weekly and weekly. I was getting hundreds of messages of women telling me for the first time in my life, I recited the Quran for my parents today. Wow. And, and this is a woman who was 40 years old. And she said that my mom cried and said, this is the best gift you could have ever given me. And so many parents telling me that their eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old little girls are tuning in to Instagram yeah. so that they can hear the recitation of the Quran from women and saying for the first time ever in their young lives, yeah. I want to be a hafidah of Quran. SubhanAllah, that experience and hearing from so many women who told me that when they were so young, they loved memorizing the Quran. I, you know, SubhanAllah, I see children now and they're, you know, they're into so many different things, <laughs> but there are some that are very actually excited. They are actually excited, naturally excited to just want to recite Quran. They enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And SubhanAllah, imagine how many young women told me. And actually, you know, some of them are young. Some of them are, I mean, we could still say 30s are young. Yeah. So 30s <laughs> and their 40s. Young. Telling me that when they were in their teens, their brothers were memorizing the Quran with them. Mm -hmm. They were going to Quran class. It was something they enjoyed. And as they were growing older, they were told, you no longer can study with the imam because you're too old now. You're, you're 13 years old. You're 14 years old. You're too old. And their brothers continued and they completed wow. the entire Quran. These, these young women who were who had beautiful voices, who were so excited about Quran, became very hurt and very angry. They stopped their own memorization. And it was the first of many reasons why they started to feel distant from Islam. These women were telling me now that it's been at least 10 years, at least 15 years since they've opened a Quran. Wow. And that subhanAllah, through hearing other women, 
they came back, they started reading the Quran, they started to pray for the first time in their lives. The woman told me they started to wear hijab for the first time in their lives. It was a massive impact to hear other women's recitation and realize that this space is for women too. And I've heard so many people say, well, of course it's for women. Of course the Quran is for women. Yeah, you say that. But if you don't see it, like all of these women had a very particular story on how they came back to the Quran once they saw it. If you don't see it, you don't always know that it's for you too. And subhanAllah, that just being able to hear other women, it was such a shift. I started this campaign throughout the year of interviewing women from around the world, women who have won in international Quran recitations. We started four-way recitations where I would invite like a sheikha from Indonesia and a sheikha from different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. We would all recite the Quran together. And alhamdulillah, more and more, more the more that I, I, I had these, you know, these blessed encounters, more and more women were like, we, we want more, we want more. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know, the only place I know of, and I'm sure it exists, I just don't know of it. In English, where all these different women exist, of course YouTube exists, but you have to really know who to search for. Yeah. You have to know their names. You have to know what to search for. If you search female reciters or women reciters, or uh, you're gonna find a few, mm -hmm. but it's not like this vast list. And so I thought, people kept asking me, how, like, is there a way I can download just the part where she recites? Because I'd interview, you know, I'd interview the, these Quran reciters for an hour and they'd recite, you know, for five minutes. Mm -hmm. So people were telling me, I'm getting in my car for my commute and I'm forwarding all the way to those five minutes and then I'm re-forwarding and I'm like wow. rewinding and forwarding, rewinding. And, and they're like, is there a way that I could download this? And then I thought, subhanAllah, why don't we just have a way where women can hear women easily and access women easily through an app and that that way women can hear other women easily mm -hmm. and alhamdulillah that was really the beginning of starting the the journey to creating the qariya app the woman quran reciters app alhamdulillah wow when i had started tds it started off with a dua and i can confidently say that allah accepted that dua but something did happen afterwards when you started, when I started to create this season, season one, you know, and you're in the middle of the work, I started to doubt my efforts, if I could do this, if I was good enough. And when with any, you know, project that you might do that you're super passionate about, especially a project that is faith-based or something you're doing for Allah's sake, you get in your own head. You almost convince yourself that you can't do this job because you're not good enough. And the doubts just get louder and louder and louder. And so for Ustad and Maryam, it was a lot like that. I'll share with you, subhanAllah, there have been so many scholars who have reached out. I haven't reached out. They've reached out to me. Mm -hmm. Of course, I've been working with scholars from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But scholars who I wasn't working with, who reached out to me, who heard about it and were like, how can I support you? Mm -hmm. We need this so much. Um, the, the just just the immense amount of support. And I, I was so, so grateful and overwhelmed by how many scholars are excited to mm -hmm. use the app for their own children, for their own families and the curriculum of their schools. But there was one scholar who came up to me and, you know, out of, you know, love, extreme love. Mm -hmm. um, she shared with me how she doesn't think that this is a good idea and mm -hmm. the reason is because she was worried that, you know, women shouldn't be Quran reciters in public. And um, 
You know, I shared with her that there are women who are Quran reciters in public in so many countries. They're, they're just their norm. They grow up with this. In fact, when we when we announced the app, uh, we have this list of the Qariyas, um, mm-hmm. and I and I shared with them some of the feedback that was like, okay, just be aware. We're going to have some feedback that we're going to need to work through. And these are senior Quran. You don't understand. Mm-hmm. These are not me, some random person reciting Quran. These are senior Quran scholars in their countries. Mm-hmm. They recite in 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 on television with other scholars. Like these are incredible people and, and, and incredible scholars. And subhanAllah, I remember saying like, you know, we're getting this feedback and, and, uh, and, and the Qariyas, their response was, oh, I've never heard it's not permissible for a woman to recite the Quran. Where did they hear that before? Like, we've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. And subhanAllah, the only people who have had that kind of like experience are really Muslims in the West. I yeah. mean, Muslims on the app who are from the West, we've, some of us have heard that, but the rest, I mean, subhanAllah, the 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 amount of, you know, the, the women from so many different countries, you know, it's just, their experiences have been very different. And so when um, when the Sheikha was speaking to me, I was, I was, you know, I was, I, I, I listened to that. I always listen to feedback. I, I, when it, someone comes and gives me advice, mm-hmm. you know, I really think advice is a great, fo- it's, if, if Allah shows you your fault, we should, if Allah shows me my fault, mm-hmm. I want to say Alhamdulillah. Like, mm-hmm. thank you, Allah, for showing me my fault now so I can change it, inshallah, so I can improve before it's too late. Yeah. So I sat with the advice and I was like, thank you, you know, Alhamdulillah for the advice. And, and at the same time, you know, this is, there's so many scholars who support it and maybe this is a personal opinion or maybe, you know, for whatever reason. But I still made istikhara about it and I was feeling very, very down. Because mm-hmm. this isn't some random person. It's someone I trust. It's someone I respect. It's someone who, you know, whose advice I value. And and so I just sat and I made istikhara and I was like, oh, Allah, like, uh, is this the right thing to do? There are so many scholars who support it, but am I doing the right thing? Am I, am, is it the right thing? Oh, Allah, guide me. Guide me to what is the most pleasing to you. Uh, what is the most pleasing to you? What's the best for my personal hereafter? What's the best for the ummah? And, and subhanAllah, I was very emotional. I was sobbing. I was making istikhara. And then I finished praying. And shortly afterwards, I get a message from a Quran scholar. I just get a random message from a Quran scholar mm-hmm. who forwards me a video of Quran recitation. And I just want to share with you, this scholar has never forwarded me a random forward, ever. <laughs> it was so random. So random. So I open, so random. I open this this. Uh, I open this video and it's Quran recitation, beautiful Quran recitation. Yeah. And I was like, mashallah, mashallah, like who is this reciter? I've never heard, um, and, and I've never heard, but, but I'm wondering because it's very similar. It's very similar to the Abdul Basit style, but it's not Abdul Basit. Mm-hmm. So it's like, who is this? And the Sheikh responded by saying, oh, this is Sheikh Abu Al-Ainain Shia Shia. Oh. And I was like, subhanAllah. Wow. That sheikh is the sheikh that said, my mind will never rest until women become Quran reciters on Egypt's radio station again. And I was just asking Allah, oh Allah, should I do this Quran app for women? Quran app of women for women. And I'm making a stakhara and then I get this random, I get this random video and this random video is from a Quran scholar and the video is the reciter who himself said women should be public reciters. And subhanAllah, I was just blown away. And then I told the sheikh the story and he said, 
you know, I was not intending to send that to you. I meant to send it to someone else. My finger <laughs> accidentally pressed you. And I was like, well, inshallah, she'll benefit from it. <laughs> wow. So subhanAllah, I just sat with that and I was like, every single time I've had a doubt, quite literally, quite literally, I made a sakhara about this app an uncountable amount of times. Anytime I have a doubt about it, I make a stakhara about it. It's not like I need to wait until a month later to hear an answer. Mm-hmm. Allah will answer me immediately. Like, with, like, subhanAllah, within moments, he will show me a clear sign. SubhanAllah, go do it. And I beg Allah to accept it. I beg Allah to accept it. There are so many women, mashallah, the recitations are out of this world. And imagine mm-hmm. if a... If a little, if a six-year-old girl could hear a Quran reciter and say, I want to become her, and then she works to become her. Like these women who are incredible Quran reciters didn't start like me when they're 17. Yeah. They started when they were three. They started when they were five. They, their voices can have such range because they've had decades of practice on stages. That is so different from me practicing and whispering in my room to memorize my portion. Yeah. The experience is different. And having other women, little girls, to have a little girl say, I want to be that when I grow up. And then, inshallah, to have an app where, inshallah, the app, this is just part phase one. We have a huge plan for where the, fa- the, the app is going to go, inshallah. Mm-hmm. But to be able to create career opportunities for women to say, I want to pursue Quran as my career. Mm-hmm. And to be able to teach that and to be able to recite that, to be able to give women who study a path that they know one of the biggest, hardest parts for women at my time when we studied were like, where do we go with this knowledge? Mm-hmm. Like you can teach free sabila that in the masjid, mm-hmm. but what if you have a family that you need to also support? Where yeah. are you going to go with it? Yeah. SubhanAllah, to be able to facilitate that I, I beg Allah to make it successful for his sake I mean and I just uh, I just want to thank you Ustaz Muni, for this because you know it's, it, when I went to Minnesota um, in uh, in the fall I had met a, oh, a, a lot of Quran I met a yes. lot of young, young yes. and they had so much um, confidence in the way mm-hmm. they recited and they had um, they had like this this thing in their eyes that wasn't like nobody. You could tell nobody had like, and it, maybe they have, but the way they carried themselves is incredible. And this is one student in particular named Suad that I had met. She's gonna be so excited that I'm mentioning her right now. That <laughs> I had met, um, uh, and she actually um, just finished her Quran. She just she became no, officially she a hafid. Um, she was on live with us and she recited the last eyes um, for all of us, so we could feel like we were there with her. And we always used to say to her. Inshallah, Saad, we're gonna see you at the Dubai Quran competition. We're gonna be there. Yes, you know? inshallah. And we're gonna be there. She's only like uh, 15 years old, and uh, she's like, "Me? Really?" I said, "Why not? Why not? Mm-hmm. Why not you? You know?" And yes, it Allah was like she's like, "I cannot believe you're telling me that." <laughs> and so I'm like, "I'm like, I can't believe the digital store is telling me I'm gonna be there." I said, "Digital <laughs> store, we're all gonna show up in <laughs> our yellow." The yellow jib vibes is a joke. It's an inside joke uh, with all of my listeners. Because we said that when we we, we attend uh, her Quran competition, because it will happen, inshallah, we're going to be wearing I mean. yellow jidbabs so she knows that we're on her team. <laughs> mashallah, and, mashallah, mashallah. She was like, yellow, ew. People gonna, I'm like, yeah, yellow. So just so you know that we're there to support you. And I and I, and I, and she was our closing episode. She recited the Quran. Mm, um, and uh, And it was, I just wanted, I've always wanted people to know that how important it was that women persist, participated in Quran and, and to, the, to the level that they participated in. And there are, they're incredible talent. You know, like, mm-hmm. there were women that are so incredibly talented. You know what I'm saying? And, like, there, there's many. And they're in their rooms thinking, okay, it's even, it's Oda to even speak. You know, I grew up right. taught that, that women's voices were Oda. 
Yeah, you know, and to some degree, my own family still hear that. Mm. Oh, your voice is Auda. I said, what? Am I in Salah? <laughs> <laughs> what is it, Auda? You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's just this huge misunderstanding that's going mm. on. It's being perpetuated mm. on a very strong cultural level. And it mm-hmm. has impacted us, for, as you said, for generations. And I yes, cannot um, believe there are women who have never heard women, women recite Quran. It just blows my mind. Yes. And it breaks my heart so much because if they believe that and they haven't seen it, how many more are there out there? I had been planning to say this and I it, it didn't happen yet but you 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 did a natural segue to it. Minnesota, Minnesota and and again, I could just not know. It could pr- totally be my own ignorance, <laughs> but Minnesota itself is the only place I know of that is such a hub for Quran for mm. women specifically. Mm. Subhanallah, the Dubai International Competition is countries from all over the world, and in Minnesota, <laughs> mashallah, three mashallah. reciters from interna- from internationally have won. Tabarakallah, yeah, mashallah, <laughs> like Qari Ahmed, mashallah, who won first place, mm. and then mashallah, we also have on the app. We are so honored, so incredibly honored to have Qariya Rawida, Hafida Rawida, and Hafida Nuram. MashaAllah. SubhanAllah, the representation from the, the Tibian Center. Tabarakallah. Mm. May Allah bless the Sheikh who mm. founded the Tibian Center and the focus and the, the, the expertise he's put into teaching Quran and building this community of Quran. It's something that we need to see all over. SubhanAllah. Absolutely. That is exactly where we see women who can win in international competitions yep. and they're not even native Arabic speakers from the United States, subhanAllah. It's so, it, it, it makes me, it's like watching a soccer game. You know what I mean? I was like, Dad, this is incredible. It, and I know it's incredible because I know what they, where they learned. I know they learned in their masjids who might be underfunded. They learned studying in their mother's living room. You know what I'm saying? And here they are, like winning. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, I like I'm always such a fan. Like whenever I meet them, I always tell them like I'm your biggest fan. Um, and I'm always so excited to meet them. So my last question to you is what ninety nine name of Allah SWT does your story resonate with most? Like what name of Allah do you feel like SubhanAllah, I, 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 there are different times in my life where different names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I just of course we connect to all the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but that I just feel so um reflect so 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 closely how i feel in my connection with him subhanahu wa ta'ala and al- right now um it's al-alim and al-khabir mm. and and subhanallah the the connection of those two names um the way that the quran itself when <laughs> subhanallah like in surah tahrim i love how um like uh, when when you know it's like this there, there's a story behind what happened and when they asked the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam who told you and then uh, allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has <laughs> a response a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem who told? Who told him? Allah, Al-Alim and Al-Khabir. Allahu Akbar. I just think that's so powerful. SubhanAllah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is so intimately aware of everything. With his, He just has so much knowledge of everything that is happening in your life. He's so intimately aware of it. And for me, because I have gone through so many stages where there's so much, so much commentary on my personality on mm-hmm. my person on everything related to my existence and i always go back to allah is the one who knows mm-hmm. he is the one who knows he is the one who's aware and and that that that's so comforting to me that he knows it's not even about oh don't judge me it's not like that it's the 
Esa, I'm not doing any of this for you. I'm not, I'm not doing any of this so you see me or that you know what I'm doing. In fact, I'm hiding 99.9% .9 of who I am from you. Mm -hmm. That like 0.1% of who I am you can't even handle. Mm -hmm. And Allah made me this way. And he did out of his knowledge. And because he is the one who knows and he's intimate. Khabir, Al-Khabir, he is intimately aware of, of every aspect of my heart and my life and and why I'm in this space right now. And and sometimes when I just sit back and I ask myself, would I be, would I feel at peace meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like this? Obviously we all have, myself included, especially me, I have lots of things I need to work on, but this particular thing that everyone is like screaming at me about online or wherever, did I do it right? Allah knows how much went into this moment, how much istikhara, how much consultation, how much studying went into this decision, whether it's the Qariya app or anything else. And he is al-alim and al-khabir, and he knows that. And and it gives me so much comfort. It gives me so much comfort. SubhanAllah. And, and I'm so grateful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored us with knowing some of his names. And I really re recommend the book Reflecting on the Names of Allah by Jinan Yusuf. It's a very powerful, um, very easy to connect with book that will, inshallah, help readers really learn about the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be able to intimately connect with his names in our lives. Knowing that he's with us is one of the biggest comforts that we can go through when we go through hardship, no matter what type, and also when we go through ease, subhanAllah. I just want to say Jazakallah Khair for coming. I'm excited for this episode. And I love how passionate you were. And I knew this topic meant a lot to you. So I'm so glad you got to speak it at length. Jazakallah I'm excited to do the Thank interview you. again to kind of talk about like where you're at. Like I, I can't wait for you to kind of add more to it, inshallah, as uh, the app grows and gets better and you, you know, experience whatever it brings you, inshallah. So this is, this is not an end. This is to be continued. With that being said, the Qari app is officially out. Go download it and stream, stream, and listen to the beautiful recitation of the sisters from all over the world and let it inspire you to read out loud. This episode is brought to you by Beautiful Light Studios, recorded at MH Studios Toronto. Our executive producer, Malshik Umar, thank you for this episode. Our recording engineer, Jonathan Lilo. Our podcast intern, Nima Harun. Our graphic designer, Sima, aka Wasima Farah. Our project manager, Yasmin Mahmoud. And our marketing extraordinaire, Sultan Abdullahi. Thank you, ladies, for all that you do. And brother. Or, <laughs> I said ladies. <laughs> I said Jonathan's not a lady. Sorry. If this podcast gave you value, we're leaving it up to you. Donate however much you feel like it gave to you. We have a big team this year who put in so many hours into bringing the show to life. If you can't give it right now, please keep us in your du'as. This week, we're helping a team member of ours raise funds for a family member that passed away. Please donate to the link in the show notes. I'll see you guys next Friday in your ears, in your speakers, telling you a good story. <laughs> Bismillahirrahmanirrahim <laughs> <laughs>
وَلِيُدَبِّرُوا مَا عَلَوْا That was a recitation by Sheikha Mabruka from 1911. This recitation can be found on the Qari'a app. Download today.